All right, so we'll say good morning. Let us begin to thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Iyar, Yonah and Shashi Ehrenfeld for dedicating all the Shurim and Joshos this month in memory of Yonah's grandfather, Yosef ben Shmuel Aaron, Mark Karstadt for dedicating all of the Shurim and Joshos in memory of his mother, Chana Bas Shragai, our Week of Learning sponsors, Leah Sol, in memory of her mother, Marguerite Strait, in commemoration of her ninth yard site, and Jeff and Karen Cohn, in commemoration of the yard site of Karen's father, Mr. Meyer Axman, Mayor Ben Mordechai, which occurs on Rosh Chodesh Sivan. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, all of the Neshamos will have an Aliyah and the families a Nechama. And we'll say, of course, it goes without saying that we dedicate our learning in the Zuchos of our, of our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael overnight, again, over 200 and 250 rockets battering Am Yisrael. 30 individuals wounded in the city of Ashkelon with uh, direct hits on different residences. And unfortunately, once again, it looks like Eretz Yisrael is preparing for war. You know, it feels, sometimes it feels like Am Yisrael, we never get to catch our breath, right? Coming off the tragedy of Meron, and then coming off the pandemic, coming off the tragedy of Meron, coming into Halavai, war will be averted, but it feels like the, like the clouds of war are quickly gathering. We hope that HaKadosh Baruch Hu provides our precious soldiers with Shemir Yisira, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives our brothers and sisters in Eretz Yisrael the strength to deal with this current difficult matzav in Halavai, Mirz Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu watches over all of Am Yisrael with the Shemir Yisira, with the Ashkacha Pratis now, and the Mirz Hashem, the Olam Vayat. We'll say, let's, uh, let's begin. So today's daf is Lamed 30, and we are picking up on Chavtes Amud Beis, 29b. We're picking up three lines up from the bottom at the two dots. Ze haklal hayabemikdash. So remember again, the Mishnah quoted the idea, this was the rule in the Beis HaMikdash. What was the rule? So the Mishnah said that whenever the coin would urinate, he would need Kiddush Adayim V'raglayim. He would need to sanctify his hands and feet. And when he would defecate, that would require immersion in a mikvah. So says the Gemara as follows. I understand why the Kohen would need to go ahead and do, wash his hands and feet after, after urinating. Mostly because of droplets. Remember, you know, both say, the part to remember over here in the, in the Beis HaMikdash was the Kohen was doing the Avoda barefoot. So remember again, if he urinates, it's possible maybe there's some droplets that end up on his feet. So it makes sense that he has to wash his hands and his feet after urinating. Eliadayim my time. So we'll say. So I'm actually let me rephrase that. You know, I understand why he has to wash his feet, right? Because of droplets. But why does he have to wash his hands? So it says the Gemara my time. I'm Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba said Zosomeris. This teaches us a very important episode. Top of Lamed, mitzvah l'shavshev. That ultimately, again, it is important to go ahead and wipe off droplets. Right? That's when a person urinates, if there are droplets, it is important to wipe off the droplets. Now, what, what does this mean? Take a look at Rashi. Tap Rashi on Lamed Lamed Aleph. Mitzvah l'shavshev biyado. Rashi says, Nitzotzo shalmei raglayim hanissin al raglov. If a person urinates... And ultimately, there are some droplets on his feet. It is important to ra- wipe off those droplets. Shalom Yetzibah, in order that a person should not go out with droplets of urine on his feet. I will say, or on his shoes for that matter. Why? Venira 
Kikrus Shafcha. So we'll say, before we go on to Rashi, let's read it in the Gemara. So before we explain this, what the Gemara is saying is like this. I understand the need to wash off, the, for the coin to wash his feet, because Halacha Lamaisa, Halacha Lamaisa, there may be droplets of urine on his feet. But why does he have to wash his hands after going ahead and urinating? To which the Gemara says, because if there were droplets, there is a mitzvah to wipe off the droplets. So therefore, again, his hands would have come in contact with urine as well. And therefore, there's a mitzvah to go out and wash his hands. Now, why do you have to wipe, wipe off the droplets after, after urinating? The Amr Rabbi Ami, back to the Gemara, It is prohibited for a person to walk out in public with droplets of urine on his feet. Because it has the appearance of a krus shafcha. They both say, what's a Krush Shafcha? A Krush Shafcha is a man who has some type of anatomical anomaly, whether it's, what, essentially, it's something, something wrong in the, in the reproductive area that pretty much prevents really both semen as well as urine from coming out in a straight stream. So when it exits, when it exits his body, it comes out in a trickle. Now, I will say, now, interestingly enough, the Torah understands that someone who's a Krush Shafcha cannot have children. Cannot have children. And so the Gemara says over here, so the issue is, if a man walks out with droplets on his shoes, it has the appearance that when he urinates, the urine doesn't come out in a stream. It just trickles out. And if it trickles out, that can mean he's a Krush Shafcha. If he's a Krush Shafcha, he can't have children, which I will say, raises a problem in the event that what? He has a family. Because if he's a Khrushchev and he can't have children, and quote-unquote he has kids, it raises some shyness about exactly how everything unfolded. So in order not to go ahead and raise any genealogical doubt regarding his children, the Torah says, I'm sorry, the Torah says, the halacha says, wipe off urine droplets from your feet before you go out. Because we'll say Chas Shlomo could lead ultimately again to a to a laz to a rumor about his children that they are not his and that they are mamzerim. So now take a look at Rashi. I'll say back to Rashi in just a moment. So if you have droplets of urine on your feet, you should not go out. Because a person could have a person could have the appearance of a krush shavcha. Shein meraglav mekalchin. Because we'll say krush shavcha when he urinates, the urine does not come out in a stream or in a flow. Ella shosisin. Rather, it trickles. A krush shavcha in a molid. A krush shavcha is unable to father children. The yomra abanav sheinam shalo. And I will say it could lead to a laz. It could lead literally to a rumor that his children are not his, and ultimately, again, lead to a laz, lead to a rumor of mamzerus. So I'll say, here's what's interesting. First of all, it's fascinating how people work, right? And it's fascinating how if someone sees some droplets on your shoes, the way they would be able to piece the droplets together, right? And go ahead and right, put the, right, connect the dots and somehow arrive at this conclusion. And I will say, normally you would say, who cares? People want to drop, drop, run to those conclusions. Now remember, when it comes to a laz of mamzerus, Right? When it comes to casting genealogical aspersions on someone, that could be incredibly damaging. So therefore, the halacha really demands that we do whatever is within our power to avoid any type of genealogical rumors like that. So therefore, I'll say coming full circle, coming full circle, the Kohen has to go ahead and wash both his hands and feet 
after urinating, his feet, lest there be droplets of urine on his feet, and his hands, because again, if there were droplets, he would have an obligation to wipe off the droplets with his hands, lest, again, people come to say that the Kohen is a cross shavcha, which could lead to genealogical rumors about his children, and therefore, in the aftermath of urinating, you require kiddush yadayim v'raglayim. Good. Amra Papa, Tabosera Papa says as follows. So we'll say, it's interesting. The Gemara doesn't really ask about going to the mikveh after defecating because it's understood that defecating, again, is a more significant form of, of relieving oneself and therefore that requires immersion in the mikveh. But we'll say, the Gemara does use it as an opportunity to discuss some interesting halachas. Rav Papa, Rav Papa says, Tsoa bimkoma, asr likros kriyashma. So we'll say, this is a very interesting halacha. Rav Papa says, if there is excrement bimkoma, in its place. Now Rashi says over bimkoma, benakav pihatabas, asrozelikros kriyashma. It's talking about if there is excrement by the anus, you are not permitted to recite shema. So the Gemara says, what's the pshatu del hechidami? What's the case? Idiniris, if somehow it's visible, so pshita. Then I will say, that's obvious, right? You can't, in general, I will say, you can't recite kriyashma in the presence of visible excrement. If it's not visible, this is such a profound statement. So if it's visible, okay, you can't say Kriyashma opposite visible excrement. If it's not visible, Torah was not given to Malachim. So I will say, as much as a person cleans themselves after using the bathroom, remember again, especially, remember it was not like Gimara, how do you clean yourself? Right, rocks. Remember, no one ever forgets that Gemara. Right? So, so, so again, so, so a person cleans themselves to the best of their ability. But again, is it possible that there's some excrement residue? Of course. So you're going to tell me, until a person is 100% clean, they can't go ahead and daven? So we'll say, so what's the shot? So remember, we're trying to figure out the case. What's the case where there would be excrement by the anus, but yet one would not be able to recite Shema? So the Gemara says, no, no, what's the case? The case must be a situation where when one is sitting, it's visible, and when one is not sitting, it's not visible. I don't know. I don't know if the rest girl has pictures on this, right? But, uh, but again, whatever, you'll, 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 you'll construct, I don't, I don't have any pictures of that kind of anymore, but, but you'll, you'll construct the Mitzvah. Whatever the Mitzvah says, we'll say is, the point over here is that it's only problematic if it's visible, right? That, that's the point over here. So if it's visible, then the mice again is problematic. If it's not visible, it's not problematic. I says the Gemara, So we'll say, why is this different than a case of excrement on one's flesh? Because what's the case? Well, it's actually an interesting halacha. So the Gemara says, If a person has excrement on his, on his flesh, or the Gemara says, So this is an interesting case. Or what happens if a person stuck his hands into the bathroom? So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, So we'll say, so we'll say if you can imagine the following case. You, you have a bathroom, and in front of the bathroom, you have a mechitza, a wall, and there's a hole in the wall. And I stick my hands through the hole in the wall so that my hands are in the Beisakise. So in this case, I, I am not in the Beisakise. My hands are 
in the base Hakisei. So says the Gemara, what's the halach in a case like that? So it's interesting, the Gemara is equating these two cases, excrement on the flesh or my hands in the base Hakisei, even though my body is not there. So says the Gemara, what's the halach in this case? Rav Huna Amar Rav Huna says in a case like this, you are permitted to recite Shema. Rav Chista Amar Aser Likros Kriyashma. And Rav Chista said, ultimately again, you are not permitted. It is Aser to say Shema. So we'll say, take a look at Rashi. Rav Chista Amar Aser, Mishum Kol Atzmosai Tomarna. So what's we'll this Gemara Brachas? Rav Chista says that literally, quoting the Pasuk from Tilim, All of my bones will say Hashem who is like you. So Rav Chista understands that in order to recite Shema, your entire body must be in a state of preparedness. So even if your body is fine, but your hands are in the bathroom, or even if your body is normally fine, but there's some excrement on your flesh, you are not permitted to go ahead and recite Shema. So Rashi says, Taima mishum kalatz mosai, ava mishum zuamas hareach lo, v'kashilarath papa, mitar vayhu. So we'll say, ultimately again, Here's what's interesting is that Rapapa seems to indicate that it's only Tzoa Bimkomo, right? So remember again, Rapapa says that if there's excrement by the anus, you're not permitted to say Shema. Which sounds according to Rapapa, that's the only time that excrement is problematic. Yet again, it's really a kasha both. According to Rafuna, excrement, right? Apparently even excrement on the skin is not problematic. And according to Rafista, excrement anywhere is problematic. So why does Rapapa only frame this as an issue by the anus? To which the Gimara says, to which the Gimara says, to which the Gemara says, it's true that, that, that Rapapa's pointing out that with this excrement by the anus, it's even more putrid. That's what he's pointing out over here. Since it's even more putrid, it's potentially even a greater problem. That's why he chooses to frame the issue as this type of excrement. It could very well be that according to Rav Chista, obviously excrement even in other places is problematic. But Lama Yisrael, Rav framing the halach in this way because it's especially putrid. Rashi says over here, Bim koman nafish zuama. So excrement by the anus is even more putrid. Shechamahi, literally it's warm. Shelo yotza la'aber velo nispazir recha. That literally, again, it has not come in contact with the air, and ultimately, again, its 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 uh, smell has not dissipated. Okay, Rosei, that's the there. Says the Gemara. Rosei, it happens to be, it happens to be, we don't pass it like this, Rav Papa, right? Interestingly enough, Halacha is not worried about excrement by the anus for one simple reason: it's a covered part of the body. It's a cover. Don't, don't look back. Don't, don't look back. There's no, there's no making eye contact over here. It's amazing how even adult men cannot escape bathroom humor. It's fascinating. Anyway, the Gemara says as follows. And don't touch your phone either. Don't look back. Don't make eye contact. Don't text. Says the Gemara. I'm going to have to start calling out names. Like Schoenfeld and Flum. Do not look at each other. Right? So, so, so the Gemara says as follows. So I just want to point out over here. So halacha lamaisa. We go ahead and we paskin that, that excrement by, by, by the anus is not a problem. We'll say for one simple reason. It's makom mechusin. Any part of the body that's covered is not going to pose a problem. Not going to pose a problem. We'll say what's, what's interesting over here to point out is the second case, which was the case ultimately again of Tzoa Abisaro, that's going to be a much bigger issue. That if for some reason a person were to have excrement on their flesh, now again, I will say, 
What's interesting to note is today there are just just different hygienic standards, and today you know again you know running water, indoor plumbing, hand washing, these types of things are done just a little bit differently and are a little bit more available. But lamaisa, the presence of excrement on the flesh would cause a problem, but the presence of excrement on a covered part of the body would really not cause a problem. Lagabe kriyashma. Good. So the Mara says, So I will say, here's what's interesting. The Mara is quoting this over here. It has nothing to do with our sugya. Interestingly enough, what it has to do over here with is, since we mentioned urinating, so the Mara brings this up over here. Halacha. Halacha besuda. There's an interesting halacha that is quoted in the context of a suuda. If a person leaves in the middle of a meal to urinate, he only has to wash one hand, and then he can come back and resume the meal. We'll say, take a look at Rashi. So we'll say, a person leaves the meal, and he comes back, he only has to wash one hand. Now, what does it mean, wash one hand? He washes, because remember, this is all tied together. We just said the halacha after urinating is that if there are droplets, a person has to be makbid to, 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 to wipe off the droplets from his feet. Lest it go ahead and create a call that a person is a krus shafcha. So therefore, again, if he go, leaves to urinate, he has to wash his hand in which he removed the urine, the droplets. So the Gemara says, and he could, then he could rejoin the Suda. This is interesting. If he left the Suda to go out and talk with his friends, means he was gone for a while. He has to wash both hands again. Now look at Rashi. Since he, now Rashi has, this is an extreme, extreme delay. Since he left the Suda for an hour or two, he daito misuda. So, so I'll say the assumption is if a person left the Suda for a prolonged amount of time, he wasn't careful about maintaining the purity of his hands, and therefore when he comes back and resumes the suda, he must wash his hands again. So just contrasting two cases, a person leaves to urinate, and the assumption is he's leaving, coming right back after he takes care of his needs. The only obligation for Natila is the obligation vis-a-vis urination, which is just one hand, in order to go, which presumably he used to go ahead and clean off the droplets. But if he left the Suda to converse with his friend and he's gone for a while, then Abba said we get into the issue of Hesachadas, lapse of awareness. And once you get into Hesachadas by Suda, that may require under certain circumstances a new Natilas Yadayim in order for him to resume the meal. Ukishu Notel, this is just an interesting idea, when he comes back and he washes, lo he shouldn't wash outside of the room where the suda is taking place and then come in, mipnei chashad, out of concern that people will suspect him that he did not wash. Ella, nichnas bimkomo, rather, if he was schmoozing with his friends for a while, then he comes back, he should sit down in his place, and what? Vinotel shteyadav, he should wash right by the area where he's sitting, so everyone sees that he washed. 
And then he passes the pitcher, right, with the water around to other people asking if anyone else wants to wash. So in other words, he must perform his act of washing in a more public fashion, literally seated at the table and then offering to pass the pitcher so that everyone could see that in fact he washed. Am Rav Chista, Rav Chista said, Lo Amran Elalishtos. This is only true if, you want, if, if they're drinking or to resume drinking. However, avalechol, no tell me bachot, but if they're eating, he could wash outside of the dining room, outside of the area where they're eating, vinichnas, and then he could walk in. So we'll say, take a look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, lo amran, when do we say that a person should not do nitiyasadayim outside of the dining room, but inside? Because that's the case where we'll say where they're no longer eating, but they're just going to drink. So who nichna Because also it's very common in Talmudic times that after the meal was over, people would continue drinking. Right? So it says that people would continue drinking ultimately again for a while after the meal as well. It's interestingly enough, in that case, you still have to wash again, lest you go ahead and eat a little bit more while they're drinking. However, the Gemara says, so when, when is the halacha that you have to go ahead and wash inside the dining room in front of everyone? That's kind of when they finished eating, but they're still drinking. So you have to go ahead and wash again in a public way because I have concern that you may come to eat something while the drinking is going on. However, but if you rejoin the Suda while they're still eating, you can even wash your hands and come back into the dining room. Because we'll say everyone knows that people are meticulous about washing before they eat. And therefore, again, even if they don't see you wash, they know that you washed before you came back in. Or said, Rav Nachman says, people know I am such a, I am such a mifunak, right? I'm an istinist. People know I wash carefully for everything. So even if they're just sitting and drinking, right? Even if they're just sitting and drinking, I could wash outside of the dining room because people know that I wash. So we'll say, so again, this happens to be a sugya of interesting halacha lamais in general about the obligation, about what happens when you leave a su'uda, when you leave a su'uda in the middle, when you, what, what, what happens when you come back. So we'll say, so it happens to be, the halacha for us is if a person goes ahead and excuses themselves to, to relieve themselves in the middle of the su'uda, so remember again, we're governed by a different halacha, which is a general in that takes place after one goes in and relieves themselves, right? So remember again, after I go ahead and use the bathroom, the halacha is, one is supposed to go ahead and wash their hands. Do an actual natila sadayim. Right? Three, uh, three times on each hand. All right? After a person goes, at least two times on each hand, after a person goes ahead and uses the bathroom. So this idea of just washing one hand, for us, is not as much of an issue because a person is doing a real natila after they're using the bathroom anyway. The discussion about leaving a su'uda being mafsik, and let's say in the case of the Gemara, going in and schmoozing with your friend, for an hour or two, what you do when you come back is a more involved sugya. Not not our topic for now. So we'll, we'll we'll leave this for today. But suffice it to say, the Gemara is highlighting to us the idea that if you do leave in the middle of the suda, depending on the circumstances and the duration and where you left, right, leaving the house versus leaving the room, ultimately again can be gone and can require a nunatila as well. Okay, good. So we'll say that's the end of that sugya. Says the Mishnah. 
We'll say fascinating halacha. A person cannot enter into the courtyard of the Beis Hamikdash la'avoda to do the avoda afilu tar even if he's tar atshitpos. So we'll say the Tanakama introduces us to a fascinating idea, which is that any time a person enters into the Beis Hamikdash, you are required to immerse in a mikvah. Now what's fascinating about this is Prince Tanakama. It sounds like that halacha Now Rashi points out over here, the Mishnah says la'avoda, to do the service, simple service. Rashi points out, lav dafka, deina damnichnas la'azar achiit bo v'tayim fashimah. So say, in fact, we're going to see that Tanakhama holds, it's not only for avoda. Anytime you enter into the base of Mikdash, you are required to do immersion in a mikvah. Now we'll say, now, the chidish over here is as follows. Even if what? Even if halacha l'may say, I'm not tummy. Even if I'm not tummy, let's say I know for sure that I'm ritually pure, the Tanakhama indicates to us entry into the base of Mikdash by definition requires immersion in a mikvah. So the Gemara says, So over the course of Yom Kippur, the Kohen Gadol would immerse in the mikvah five times and would sanctify his hands and feet. That's Kiddushin, right? Kiddushin would occur ten times. So the Gemara says, Chamish Tevilos Vasari Kiddushin Tovel Kohen Gadol Umikadish Bobayom. So we'll say again, Halach Lamaisa, five immersions in the mikvah, ten sanctifications of hands and feet would occur over the course of Yom Kippur. The Kulan Bakodesh Al Besaparva. And I will say, all of these immersions would take place in the sanctified area of the Besamikdash. In the base haparva, chutzmizo. We'll show that is in just a moment. Chutzmizo, with the exception of this one. So we'll say that this one refers to the first immersion of the day, right? That first immersion that the Tanakhama is referring to, which is when you come to the base hamikdash. Whenever you come to the base hamikdash, there is an obligation to immerse. So all of the other immersions of the day for the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur took place in the Beis HaParva, which we'll, which we'll show in just a moment where that is, except for the first one. The Yomar says, Bilvar parasu sadden shabutz beino am. The Mishnah says that Allah Chalamaisa Rashi says over here, Chutz Mizo Harishona Sheino Ba'a Chovas Liyom Kila Mekipurim to Hakol Yoma Nami Isa Avat Filos Habavos Chovas Liyom Kippur Ksev Bahayim Bamakom Kodesh Shavos Listeners, we're going to see the first immersion of the day was not related to Yom Kippur. The first immersion of the day was a general immersion that whenever you come to the base of Mikdash, you must immerse in a mikvah. So because that immersion is not related to Yom Kippur, that could take place even in, even what we'll call it in a non-sanctified part of the base of Mikdash. The rest of the immersions of the day, which are all related to Yom Kippur, must take place in the Kodesh. So I will say, so remember again, referring to our base of Mikdash map, so where was the base of Parva? So base of Parva is, sorry, is right here. Is right here. So we'll say. So remember again, that's that's this mikvah over here. So you can see again. We'll discuss. We'll discuss why here in just a moment. So that you, if you, if you if you see this map, you can see on 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 box yud ches. You'll see there's even a little circle. That little blue circle represents the mikvah. So ultimately, again, and this was a rooftop mikvah. So all of the immersions of the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur would take place over here on the base haparva. Good. So it says the Gemara as follows. It says the Gemara, Shalos ben Zoma. They asked ben Zoma. Tvila zu. This, this tvila. So we'll say this tvila that the Tanakhama said that you have to go to the mikvah every single morning. Right? You have to go to the mikvah every single morning. 
So ultimately, again, what's the nature of it? Right? When I was, when I, let me say it differently. The tefillah that whenever you come to the Beis HaMikdash, irrespective of what your personal status is, you have to go to the mikvah. So says the Gemara, Lama. Well, what, what's the nature of this tefillah? So Amr Lahem. So Ben Zoma said as follows. So I'll say, if the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, right, who goes from one sanctified area to another sanctified area, from a place where Chas Hashanah, if you transgress, is a punishment of Kares, to another place where there's a punishment of Kares, Talon Tevila, he requires Tevila between every single Avoda. A person who comes from Chol, from an unconsecrated area, to Kodesh. And from a place where there is no liability of kares, to a place where there is a liability of kares, then it goes without saying, ultimately, again, that he requires tefillah. So we'll say, so Benzoma says something very interesting. Benzoma essentially says that the immersion in the mikvah when you come to the base of mikdash is a din daoraisa. It's really a din daoraisa. And it's, and it's really learned from a kavachomer. If the Kohen Gadol has to do a tevila and a mikvah in between every avoda on Yom Kippur, where he's going to get from avoda to avoda to avoda, and he's only transferring between different consecrated places in the mikdash, yet that change requires immersion in the mikvah, all the more so when I'm coming into the base of mikdash and I'm going from Chol to Kodesh, from a place where there is no liability of kares, to a place where there is liability of kares, alachas kama v'kama, all the more so that there is an obligation to go ahead and have a tevila and a mikvah. Good. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, no, srach tevila hizob. Rabbi Huda says, actually, this tevila and the mikvah, I will say it's interesting, when you come to the base of mikdash, the reason you have to go to the mikvah, it's a reminder. It's a reminder. A reminder of what? So I'll say, this is incredible. So Rabbi Huda posits, he says, there's actually no obligation to immerse in the mikvah when you come to the Beis HaMikdash. So I'll say, if I come to the Beis HaMikdash and I'm Tahar, there is no obligation for me to immerse. I, so why do I have to immerse? So here's what's interesting. We want you to immerse because what that'll do is it'll get you thinking about Tumah. Sometimes it could happen that maybe a person really was Tameh and they forgot to resolve their situation. The obligation to immerse in a mikvah before I enter into the mikdash essentially gets me thinking about tumah. So that in the event that there is some old tumah situation that I did not rectify, now I will rectify before I proceed any further. Take a look at Rashi. Srach hizo ein kan chova minatora ela so we'll say this is fascinating. So fundamental machloke. So everyone's going to agree with the statement of the Mishnah that when you come to the base of Mikdash, you have to go to the mikvah. Irrespective of your personal, you have to go to the, you have to go to the, you have to go to the mikvah. Machlokas as to why. Ben Zoma says, it's a dindar Raisa. It's a kavachomer. 
if the Kohen Gadol has to go to the mikveh in between every avoda, shalachas of the kam of the kam you have to go to the mikveh when you come from outside the mikdash to the mikdash. Rabbi Huda says no, it's not a it's 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 a derabanan. We just want you to remember about tumantara, so that in the event that you had a tumas status that you forgot about that you did not rectify, when you immerse in the mikveh, you'll remember and you will you will then abstain from going any further into the mikdash until you remedy your tumas status. Beautiful. So we might come if the Rabbi said, what are they arguing about? Amid days. This is fascinating. They're arguing about the following. What happens if halacha lemaisag? Let's talk about a coin for just a moment. Let's say a coin came into the base hamikdash in the morning and he forgot to immerse. He didn't go to the mikvah. He didn't go to the mikvah. So I will say, what's the status of the avoda which he performed? Lebenzoma mechal avoda. According to Benzoma, I will say, if a coin forgets to immerse in the mikvah, first thing when he comes to the base hamikdash, the avoda is the avoda schulim. The avoda is invalid. Because according to Ben Zoma, that immersion in the mikvah is an absolute biblical prerequisite to the avoda. And if you forget it, the avoda is possible. However, the Ben Zoma, I'm sorry, the Rabbi Huda, lo machil avoda. According to Rabbi Huda, again, the whole point of the immersion in the mikvah is for what purpose? To just to remind you about Tumah Yeshana. In the event that you have some old Tumah that you did not rectify, immersion in the mikvah will remind you, oh my gosh, I have to take care of my Tumah, I can't come into the base. So it's just a reminder. Therefore, bid the ever according to Rabbi Huda, if you did not immerse in the mikvah prior to Avoda, the Avoda is still Kshera. So we'll say, is that true? That according to Benzoma, if, if the coin forgot to do the first immersion, the first immersion, I was now again, I want to be clear. Who are we talking about? We're talking about a Kohen who, as far as he knows, right, to the best of his knowledge, he is absolutely unequivocally Tahar, right? Yet everyone is going to agree. We'll call him Arna Kohen. Now, when Arna Kohen shows up to the base Hamikdash in the morning and he's going to do the Avoda, everyone agrees that he must go to the Mikvah because the Mishnah says, anyone who comes to the Mikdash, you go to the Mikvah. You go to the Mikvah. So now, remember, the Shaila is, now he went ahead and he did the Avoda. He forgot to go to Mikvah and he did the Avoda anyway. So the Shaila now is, what is the effectiveness, what is the kashrus of that Avoda? So Ben Zoma will say, failure to go to the Mikvah invalidates the Avoda. Because according to Ben Zoma, the immersion in the Mikvah is an absolute prerequisite to Avoda in the base of Mikdash. Rabbi Huda will say no. The immersion in the mikvah is just there as a preventative measure. It's there as a reminder that in the event that I have Tumah Yeshana, old Tumah, I'll, I'll remember, oh, I never rectified the status and, the, and I won't go into the Beis HaMikdash. But according to Rabbi Huda, if the coin failed to go to the mikvah before the avoda, it does not invalidate the avoda. Sigmar says, really, Ilu Ben Zoma, according to Ben Zoma, is he really going to hold that if the coin, who as far as he knew was Tahar, Fail to go to the mikvah before doing the avod that the avod will be possible. But Tanya, we learned kohen gadol shalotavol v'lo kideish bein baged lebaged ubein avod laavod avodasek shera. Yet also we learned that a kohen gadol who did not go to the mikvah, right, or did not go ahead and do kiddush adayim v'raglayim in between the changing of clothing, we'll discuss all of this. Or between one avoda and another avoda, what's the halacha? Avoda So we'll say, what do you see from here? You see from here that in situations where there is a mandated tefillah, 
but the Kohen Gadol for some, or the Kohen, for some reason did not do the mandated Tevila. Again, assuming that the Kohen is Tahar, the Avoda Bidi Eved is Kshira. So if that's going to be true for the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur, then Alachas Kama Vakama should be true for a regular Kohen who comes into the Beis HaMikdash, meant to do the Tevila, failed to do the Tevila, then at least Bidi Eved, the Avoda should still be Kshira. The Bryce goes on, Echad Kohen Gadol Echad Kohen Hedyot, so we'll say, so just to point out, however, the one prerequisite for the Avod is there must be sanctification of hands and feet. If for some reason the Kohen did not do that, then the Avod ultimately again will be possible. To which the Gemara says, so, so what exactly, so how could it be that Benzoma would say that the failure to immerse in the mikvah and coming to the mikdash in the morning would render the Kohen's avoda chulin, right? it, it, it would render it ineffective, even if the Kohen Gadol himself on Yom Kippur, for some reason, did not go ahead and go to the mikvah between avoda and avoda, but the avoda is still kshira. So how could Benzoma say that failure to go to the mikvah in the morning, right, when the Kohen knows that he's tar, caused the, caused the avoda to be chulin, Rabbi Gemara says, Elo lemekam ba'asei kamiflagi. Rather, Rabbi the Shiloh here is as follows. In the event that when the Kohen showed up for Avodah in the morning, if he did not go to the mikvah, failure to go to the mikvah, does that result, does that result in the violation of a positive commandment? That's the fundamental Shiloh. So Rabbi say, watch this. Ben Zoma, kai ba'asei. According to Ben Zoma, Ultimately, again, failure to go to the mikvah is in violation of an assay. And according to Yehuda, ultimately, again, there is no assay. Look at Rashi for just a moment. So I will say, really what the Gemara says is as follows. You're right. Everyone is going to agree about in the following case. And this is very important to Allah. If a coin shows up, in the morning to do the Avodah. Everyone agrees that what is he supposed to do? First thing? First thing? Mikvah. Right? The truth is, real first thing is Kiddush Yudayim Vragalim, sanctification of hands and feet, but I'll leave that for now. Everyone agrees that Halacha Lamaisa, he has to go ahead and go to the Mikvah. Right? It's almost like, so everybody agrees. Machlokes as to why. Ben Zoma says, it's a Chiyav Daraisa. I learned that from a Homer. Rabbi Huda holds that Halacha Lamaisa it's just there as a reminder. Now, according to the Gemara, everyone also agrees that what? That if the coin, if the coin failed to go to the mikvah, but again, as far as he knows, and he's tar, and he does the avoda, what's the status of the avoda? It's good. Everyone will agree with the evidence good. So what's the machlokas? The machlokas is, if a coin fails to go to the mikvah first thing in the morning, is he in violation of an assay? Which assay? He shall wash his flesh in water and then don the big day kahuna. According to Ben Zoma, failure to go to the mikvah results in violation of a positive commandment. And according to Rabbi Huda, there is no violation of an assay. Good. Does Rabbi Huda really hold of this svara? Rashi says, now watch this. Now what the Gemara is going to suggest is, does Rabbi Huda even agree with this principle that anyone who comes to the Beis HaMikdash must immerse in the Mikvah? 
So does he even subscribe to this idea? Watch this. What time we learn? This is fascinating. Mitzora, the person who is who is now recovering from tsaras. So Mitzora tovel va'omid b'sharni kanar. Right. So what say? It's very interesting. So Mitzora. Ultimately, again, when he's undergoing this purification process, Rashi says over Mitzora, Bishmini Shalo, a Mitzora on his eighth day. So watch this, we'll say. So Mitzora, now on day number eight, comes along and stands at Shar Nikanor. Shar Nikanor. Now, we'll say, now the Gemara says there elsewhere that on day number eight, the Mitzora requires another immersion in the Mikvah. So we'll say, so let me just point out over here what's happening. So remember again, here, what you see over here on in Yud Aleph, Yud Aleph is what we call the Lishkas Mitzorayim. This box over here, the Lishkas Mitzorayim. The chamber of the Mitzorayim. And I will say, so remember again, a lot of stuff would happen in that chamber. That's what the Gemara says, the Mitzorah would go ahead and they would eat their portions of their carbonos. They would also go ahead and cut off their hair, throw it into the fire at the end of their, at the end of their taglachas. So the Gemara says, I just want to point out, if you notice over here, there was a mikvah. That, that, big, that big blue circle is a mikvah. So what the Gemara is suggesting over here is as follows. So watch the progression. On day number seven, the Mitzorah would immerse in the mikvah. On day number eight, the Gemara is suggesting that he has to immerse in the mikvah again. And then he comes out and he stands by Sharni Kanar. Here's Sharni Kanar over here. Well, so that's, this is Sharni Kanar. And then what happens, the Gemara says. Now, the Gemara says, Rabbi Yudha Omer, that was now at Sharni Kanar, just to give you the rest of the story, the coin would come and meet him at Sharni Kanar, and there would be the blood applications, ultimately, again, on the thumbs, on the big toes, right? Of all the blood applications of the Mitzor. That would all happen at Sharni Kanar. So the Gemara says as follows. Rabbi Yudha says, Rabbi Yudha holds, um, there is no need for immersion in a mikvah. Why? Because he already t- he's already told all the night before. Right? Now, both say, here's what's interesting. Now, obviously, again, he was already told the night before, that's fine. But we just learned that anyone who shows up in the base of Mikdash, every day you show up in the base of Mikdash, you have to go ahead and immerse in the mikvah. Yet we see that according to Rabbi Huda, the fact that the Mitzorah went ahead and immersed the night before, that's enough that he doesn't have to immerse that morning again. So you see from here, maybe Rabbi Huda doesn't hold up this entire institution, to which the Gemara says, to which the, well, take, take a look at Rashi, by the way, Good. So the Gemara says, So we'll say, no, 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 it's different. Because normally Rabbi Huda will agree that when you come to the base of Mikdash, you do require immersion in the mikvah. However, this case is different. Why? Because the Mitzorah already immersed the night before. So because he immersed the night before, he does not need another immersion that morning. Udikarila, my car. So I will say that the one who posed the question, so what was he thinking? What was his svara? To which the Gemara says, the kaboy achrisi ale. So ultimately, again, because he poses another kasha. What was the other kasha? So the Gemara says, listen to this. Lishkas ha-mitzorayin, shesham mitzorayin tovin. It will say, in the lishkas mitzorayin, in the, in the mitzorah chamber, that's where the mitzorayin immerse. So that's what I showed you before. This, that's box yud aleph. Remember again, there's a mikveh in there. This is where the mitzorayin would immerse themselves. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Huda Omer, lo mitzorayin bilvad. 
It's not only the Mitzvah who would immerse in that mikvah. Amru Ella, it's the Gemara Bilvada, Amru Ella, Kal Adam. Every single person would immerse in that mikvah. So we'll say, this is actually very interesting. So if you want to know when the Mishnah says, whenever you come to the Beis HaMikdash, you have to immerse in the mikvah. You have to immerse in the mikvah before coming into the mikdash. Where would they immerse? So we'll say, so it's interesting. We know already, if you ever go to the southern wall excavations, so you know what they've unearthed are a whole number of mikvahs right there outside of what, right outside of the Harabayas. So there are plenty of places to immerse. But in addition, in what we call the Ezras Nashim, the women's courtyard, people used to use the mikvah in the Lishkas Mitzorayim, which, which, is, which is really quite interesting. So they would go ahead and write in Lishkas so the Gemara, to which the Gemara says, Lokasha, it's not a contradiction. Not a contradiction. Look at Rashi, says, Shesham Mitzorayim, Elokol Adam, Hanichnasin, Hanichnasin Lazara, Midikamra Bilvad, Michlal de Islay Tevila, Bimitzora. To which the Gemara's Lokasha, Had Zavosei. So again, what, what's, what the problem that's driving this over here is what's happening with the Mitzora, right? Zavosei. So again, according to Rabbi Huda, is the Mitzora obligated to reimmerse on day eight or not obligated to reimmerse on day eight? From the previous Brisa, Rabbi Huda said explicitly the Mitzora need not reimmerse on day eight if he immersed on day seven. According to this Brisa, it sounds like the Mitzora has to reimmerse on day eight as well. Lokasha, Hadatavil, Hadalotavil. I will say everything depends on whether or not the Mitzorah immersed. Not. Look at Rashi Dilotavil, Miber Litzaraso. If the Mitzorah immersed the night before, he need not immerse again on day eight. If he did not immerse the night before, then he must re immerse on day eight. To which the Gemara says, one second. Idilotavil, head of Shemesh Bay. I will say, here's the problem. If the Mitzorah did not immerse the night before, then even if he immerses on day eight, that will not allow him to go to Sharnikanar for the blood applications. Why? Because we'll say, when the Mitzvah immerses, what does he require? What does he require? Head of Shemesh, sunset. See, if he immersed on day seven, the eve of day seven, right, and then had hair of Shemesh, then fine. But if he's for the first time immersing on day eight, he can't then roll into Sharnikanar for the blood applications. He requires hair of Shemesh. Ella says, the Gemara says, Ella, EDV, EDD, Tavil. Rather, both cases are where the Mitzorah went ahead and immersed already on day seven. Aye, so does he require Tavila on day eight or not? It depends. Both say, was there a lapse of awareness or not? If there was a lapse of awareness, he has an obligation to go ahead and reimmerse. If there was no lapse of awareness, he doesn't have an obligation to reimmerse. One second, if he has lapse of awareness, from his Tara process, then what? He requires a brand new sprinkling on days three and seven as well. If there's Hesachadas, ultimately again, it requires another sprinkling. Rather, you have to say, the case in question was, there's no Hesachadas. There's no Hesachadas. The Mitzorah is focused on his Tara. So we'll say, if that's the case, then if he immersed on day seven, why would there be a requirement for another immersion on day eight? Velo kashya, hada tavil adas bias mikdash, hada lo tavil adas bias mikdash. Both of this is fascinating. Apparently, when being tovel to come to the mikdash, it's not enough just to be tovel. You have to be tovel with specific intent to come to the mikdash. Sif on day number seven, he was tovel for his saraz, and with the intent to come to the mikdash, he need not be tovel on day number eight. But let's say for argument's sake, on day number seven, all he had was das. 
to immerse for his saras purification, but did not have das to come to the mikdash, he has to re-immerse on day number eight with the intention of coming to the mikdash. The other possibility is as well, Tani, lo mitzaran amru elakal adam. So ultimately, I'm going to say the other possibility is as follows. Then when we learn, it's not just Mitzuran who had to immerse, but every person had to immerse before coming to the Mikdash. Rabbi Yehuda was saying according to the Rabbanon. How so? Rabbi Yehuda says like this. According to me, Mitzuran says according to me, Mitzuran doesn't require a Tevila. Why not? Because Mitzuran was already Tovel on day number seven. So because he was told on day number seven, on day number eight, when he shows up at Shar Nikanor, he does not require another Tvila. Lidi Dahu, but according to you, Rabbanon, Oduli Ezi, Oduli Ezi, Mihas, Dalom Mitzaran, Bilbar Amru, Ella Kal Adam. So both say, but Rabbi Yudha says, but according to you, according to you, it would seem that Halacha Lamaisa, not just the Mitzora, but every person should require immersion in a mikvah. The Rabbanon, the Rabbanon will say, it's possible that the Rabbanon would say that it's only a Mitzorah who requires immersion in the mikvah when he shows up. Why? Because he's Daesh Tumah. We'll say Daesh means he's immersed in Tumah. But a regular person is not necessarily immersed in Tumah. So we'll have to stop over here. What we're going to end off with, we'll say, is the concept, the concept of immersion in the mikvah prior to coming to the mikdash. Is this a requirement or not. So we'll say ultimately again, halacha lamaisa we will see. Machlogis Rabbi Hudan the Rabbanon, and Mirat Sashan to be continued tomorrow. Shkarach, we'll say.